What is up, freaks? It's your boy, Marty Ben, here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Please disregard my screaming niece in the background. I don't know what's going on down there. She may be a little hungry. I don't know what it is. We're here for a quarterly update with Maddie Mazinchus from the Crypto Voices podcast, CryptoVoices.com. The teams have been doing an incredible job of bringing data about the monetary base monies, excuse me, the global base monies to individuals around the world. To the Q2 2021 update, dove into a lot of things. There are some new charts, new metrics added to the to the quarterly report. Matt and I walked through all of them. She's really pissed off down there. I don't know what's going on. This one was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App's helping you stack sets and sets, receive sets and sell sets, if you so please. We're saying sets, 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 sets. The sats are the standard. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can buy whole sats instead. Cash App makes it very easy. You can DCA in the sats. That means you can set it and forget it. Buy a set amount on a set cadence. Cash App allows you to buy daily, weekly, and bi-weekly. They have their boost program where you get a personalized debit card. It's accepted wherever Visa is accepted. Cash App can be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers so you can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app. Maybe adding lightning soon, too. Who knows? If you haven't downloaded the Cash App yet, make sure you do so. Using the code StackingSats, that's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S, you're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. This script is also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle is here to bring you freaks a lending platform that leverages Bitcoin's native properties. It's available to U.S. citizens. There's no KYC, no AML. The way it works is you put your Bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty holds one key, and Hoddle Hoddle holds the third key. You put your Bitcoin up as collateral, you get stable coins uh, in the form of a loan, which you can go spend that on whenever, and as long as you're paying back that stable coin loan, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. The beauty of this product, again, it's leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. So the fact that you hold one key in that two or three multi-sig escrow, you're not going to be able to move your accounts. However, you're going to get visibility into the wallet throughout the duration of your loan so that you can be sure that your Bitcoins aren't being rehypothecated. You know that they're going to be there. You know that if you're paying back your loan, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. If you have stable coins, you want to get yield on those, you can enter the other side of that marketplace. You put them up to be lent out to Bitcoiners looking for loans, and they pay you back with interest. So that's how you get your yield. If they don't pay you back, you get the sats in the escrow account. Go check all this out at lend.hodlhodl.com. That's L-E-N-D.H-O-D-L-H-O-D-L.com. Lend.hodlhodl.com. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals into the mining game. They want more distribution of hash rate ownership the way they do this you go to compassmining.io they have miners for you asics for you you pick your model you buy your model you can have it sent to you straight to your door so that you can plug it in and mine it truly sovereign uh, on your own electricity source however if you're looking for cheap competitive electricity rates compass has set up hosting partnerships with uh, hosting facilities around the world 
Whoa, 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 whoa. We got something going on here in the background. Excuse me. Make sure that doesn't happen. Where was I? Where was I? Yeah. They have hosting facility partnerships, Compass Mining does, where they're going to get you competitive electricity rates so that you can buy your miner, send it to the hosting facility, they'll plug it in, and they'll start streaming hash. Excuse me, streaming sats straight to your wallet because of the hash that your miner is contributing to the network. Again, you own these miners. Uh, if you're not happy with what's going on at the hosting facility, you can call your miner and say, hey, send it to me at home. I think I have cheaper electricity. I'm going to plug it in here, and they will do that for you. So go check this all out at compassmining.io. C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Don't big things. Don't big things. Last but not least, is brought to you by our good friends at Brains, 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 Double I, B-R-A-I-I-N-S. Brains is a team behind Slush Pool. Slush Pool, obviously, the longest-running Bitcoin mining pool in existence, the first-ever mining pool. Uh, they had a big update earlier this summer that includes ultra-flexible payouts that can be either time-based or threshold-based mining reward splitting for automatically distributing rewards to multiple wallets, and it came with Darksteam as well. The latest Brains OS Plus firmware updates include full support for the Antminer S17e and T17e, as well as some significant improvements for the auto-tuning of all X17 devices. And it's available now at Brains, again, double I, B-R-A-I-I-N-S dot com slash O-S slash plus, P-L-U-S, not the plus sign. I don't even think that would work in a URL. Uh, Brains OS Plus is compatible with any mining pool. Very important information here. You don't need to point excuse me, I just burped, your hash at slush pool if you're using the Brains OS Plus firmware. But if you do mind using slush pool, you're going to get 0% pool fees. Since network hash rate is below all-time highs, it's a great time to juice up your miners with auto-tuning firmware and stack more sats. That's what Brains OS Plus is, auto-tuning firmware that sends your hash and gets you more sats. For those of you that don't know how it works, it comes down to the silicon and the hashing chips Small, there are small variations in the silicon quality of every chip in an ASIC. Typically, stock firmwares that come with the machines treat the entire device as a uniform unit, sending the same frequencies and voltages through the hash boards. Brains OS Plus boosts performance by experimenting with different frequencies and voltages on each individual chip to learn which chips are higher quality than others. And then it calibrates to send more work to the higher quality chips and less work to the lower quality ones. The end result of this per-chip tuning is more hash and thus more sats per watt of power consumed. Currently supported devices are the Antminer S9, S9i, S9j, as well as the S17, S17+, Plus, S17 Pro, T17, T17+, Plus, and the ones just added, the S17e and T17e. Next up, apparently, are what's miners. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be that meme of the skeleton at his computer desk just waiting for the what's miner firmware. It's going to be your Uncle Marty. That's how he's going to die. Literally waiting for the What's Miner firmware, along with S19s from Bitmain. Stay tuned, TM, for more updates on the firmware and Slush Pool, and check out Insights, I-N-S-I-G-H-T-S, dot brains, dot com for content, stats, charts, and mining profitability tools to stay on top of everything happening in the mining industry. Enjoy this rip with our good, with our good friend, Matthew Vizinctious. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. 
So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. But uh, I won't. I won't record locally then. Or do you need my local? No, we're recording locally here on my on my uh, external hard drive. Going live. First interview. The meeting is being live streamed. We are live. We are recording. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's our quarterly check-in. With Matthew Mazinxious. Matty, how you doing? Doing well, Marty. I always look forward to how you're going to say my name, and that was uh. That was one of the better ones. Better as in more funny. So thanks. Uh, doing just fine. Doing just fine. Very, uh, very happy to be back. What's that? We'll fuck it up. Uh, no, it, it's uh, it's Mizinskis. Is the Latvian version. Mizinskis would be the American. But uh, either way, it's 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 fine. It was good. Don't worry. It was it was good. Yeah, last name down. I know how to spell it. I know how to like hold the Z down, hit one to get the. Uh, what is that? Yeah, the little. Uh, the the carrot on top there, the um, it's the in the Latvian term. I don't know. There's different terms, I guess, in each language, but it's the softing. The literal translation is like the soft sign, because it makes like if you have like a Z, it would be like a Z, or if you have an if if you have like a S with the carrot over, it'd be like a Sh. So and like I know that's similar in many Slavic languages and stuff. Latvian is a Baltic language, it's a little bit different, but uh, yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit. Mezhinskis, yeah, yeah. Just go ahead and re-listen to how you said it, and that's a little bit funnier, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's no, dude, no, no offense taken at all. I mean, growing up in the U.S. with that name, and now being over here with Matthew as the first name, it's always, uh, it's always going to be uh, some interesting conversation about it. So, it's no yeah. worries. Yeah, you can't go anywhere without having some name conversation. <laughs> Last name in the states, first name in in Latvia. Breaks the uh, ice, I guess. Whatever. Um, did you pull up the uh, slides on your side? Because I didn't see them. No, but I can pull them up. Unless okay. you want to share your screen, I can allow uh, you to share your screen. No, you go for it. It'd be better just for you to. Uh, All right. To on the side. It's not like I have any porn or anything on the screen, but still, it'd be better for you to. Uh, yeah, let me pull it up. I'm going to pull up the thread. Yeah. While we're doing that, you were mentioning before we went live and hit record that you uh, you've been traveling for the first time. In eighteen months, you said you were happy, but then you're also depressed. What? Uh, what? Uh, what? Well, you know, I mean, it's the same story that uh, you, you talk about many times on your show. Um, you know, we're just slowly, slowly being coddled into this new, brave new world. And um, yeah, I mean, uh, I was talking with a uh, friend of mine in the U.S. whose wife is Australian. They were eventually thinking maybe to live in Australia. Um, but for now they're in, they're in my hometown in Cincinnati. Um, they can't go now to Australia because the like word on the street is, as I was told, I don't know the latest, but like, you know, we might not be able to guarantee that we can let you leave if you come at least to his wife. So like Australia, New Zealand, as many people know, is going a little bit crazy with their restrictions, but, um, especially, you know, in mixed marriages, like I'm in a mixed marriage, um, where, one partner does not have the other's passport. It's just makes you think more than ever about where you, you know, if things go sideways, where you might uh, be able to go. 
Uh, of course, marriages make things easier, but you know, regardless, you know, do you have to be married to you know be able to fly a plane and take your spouse or significant other, or loved one or child? I mean, it's just it, it's it's uh, it's you know everybody knows everybody's got their own opinion on all this stuff, but um, yeah, I was I was talking on his podcast as well recently, like he always says this thing about be a better person at the airport and stuff. And, you know, don't get up early and, and, and block people and try to like, get out of the plane first. You're all, you're all going to get out at the same time roughly. And, you know, if you just look at the way people are so stressed in planes and airports and everything these days, I mean, it's, uh, it's just sad. And it's clearly the regulations, the controls, everything you need to do makes it even more sad. Um, and you know, no, that's it's not the new, new normal. I, I do not like airports. I did not like them before. <sighs> Look at the, the lockdowns and the mask mandates and all the fear going around. But now, especially, it's like, whoa. And considering what's going on, I know right before we hit record, I was like, oh, I hate talking about this shit. I'm happy that I'm busy because I don't have to focus on it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's the first thing we, first thing we bring up. <laughs> but considering like, uh, like all the freedoms that were taken from us, uh, under the guise of protecting us from terrorism and mainly in airports with the TSA, like we're forced to go through that, that embarrassing dehumanizing process of taking our shoes off, standing up, getting frisked and all that. Uh, again, in, in, in effort to protect us from terrorists who are going to use the airport and the airplanes to, to take our freedoms. However, just leave $85 billion worth of weapons to arm the terrorists and, and, uh, yeah and always uh, you know when it comes back to us it's always temporary measures right always temporary 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 and then you know 50 years later the gold window is still closed <laughs> well that's yeah. well that's maybe that's a perfect segue into the topic we're here to talk about today the, the monetary base update q2 2021 since we last met uh, to go over the q1 2021 update as you just alluded to and mentioned, we had the 50th anniversary of, of Nixon officially ripping us off any uh, connection that was remaining to a gold standard. And it was temporary. How temporary was it supposed to be? Uh, I'm not sure it was described that way. Uh, like they, they ever, you know, give a, a hard and fixed window there. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. But uh, we had two interesting conversations. Fernando, uh, my former co-host, who's really uh, blowing up his Portuguese-based uh, Brazilian YouTube channel these days. Uh, he did a whole series this summer on 50 years, so I definitely recommend uh, listeners to check it out. Not only, I mean, there are some interesting ones if you want to read the subtitles, but uh, we did two in English I did together with him. One was Larry White, uh, big free banking scholar. Another was uh, Dr. Mark Faber who is a hilarious old school Swiss investor, spent a lot of time on Wall Street, was in Wall Street, uh, on Wall Street during the, um, during the closing of the gold window. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's incredible to think that it's been 50 years and uh, you literally have probably more confusion than ever today when it comes to people's understanding of money what is money? Some people think that gold still backs money. Um, the disconnects are just uh, just probably as large today as they were as they were then. And um, 
and yeah so anyway those are interesting uh interviews if you want to check them out over on fernando's youtube channel um but yeah to your question about how long it was you know it's just always it's it's always like that back to the security thing as well i mean i remember just briefly going back to the security thing i remember a couple of years ago because you know i get back to the states three four times a year at least i used to um you know i remember very well it was like springtime summertime lulls of uh travels and then they were just gearing up to the summer and, and then they uh they just rolled out the uh you know those those body scanners um you started the super groping um so and now they have the dogs that walk across with you oh god the dogs just like scaring children uh it is dehumanizing but anyway we, I, I don't we don't have to go back to that but yeah it all always in the name of temporary measures to help us uh and protect us uh that never go away never go away so it is uh it is something to keep in mind both for our you know like i said it's it's more it's more that i need to think about as a traveling expat um you know multinational uh person multinational marriage uh you know and and people that think that they need another passport to get out maybe or you know if 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 restrictions come so bad and you want to go so, somewhere in the caribbean like i know a lot of people have thought about that these days yeah i mean probably more than ever you know just really got to think about it more plan more and um think about where you want to spend your time during certain seasons or whatnot because uh, you know it's, it's hard to see that it's going to get better yeah. anytime soon there but well, anyway. we'll jump into the monetary based stuff but before, <laughs> I just have to repeat like a story I've told on this podcast many times is again, when I was working at the managed futures fund in Chicago, our chief investment officer was a, a gentleman by the name of Dimitri who immigrated to the United States from Russia in the nineties. And, and he had this just one comment to me when I was 22, 21 stuck with me for ever now, or at least nine, 10 years since we had that portfolio meeting, he was like, he grew up in Soviet Russia and he really does not like communism. And he's looked at me scared shitless one Monday. We got on the subject of TSA somehow. And he was like, Marty, like the TSA, like ever since the Patriot Act, like what's going on here? It's, it's turning into the Soviet Russia I ran away from. It's like, holy shit, man. Like what? Well, the communists make you, used to make you take your shoes off. Uh, and all that stuff during interrogation, you know, America is now the only place you have to take your shoes off at the airport. Ironically, it's just, uh, it's just bizarre. Yeah. It's very, bizarre. what's going on in the world of base monies? Well, you know, our favorite hobby horse over here, uh, at the crypto voices podcast, uh, couldn't find any place that was really uh, presenting this information well. So decided to do that. Uh, ourselves. It's been about three years, actually, since we uh, started publishing this. Oh. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you, sir. But uh, yeah, also, of course, we've had other uh, guests. We've talked about this stuff all the way from our first guests about you know the real role of Bitcoin as ultimate settlement in Bitcoin's financial system. It's done in 10 minutes. What does that actually compare with in the fiat system? So that is uh, a lot of people just misconstrue that they call it you know they compare visa and amex's fifty thousand peak transactions per second as some sort of a global settlement no that's not what's happening because you know you didn't pay the credit card company from your bank account right at that point neither did the merchant receive money from visa or mastercard or amex immediately at that point there's there could be 30 days to months depending on 
you know, when that credit card is paid off for that money to settle. And even there, uh, that is uh, money that's literally credit. Um, you have the only time it hits the money supply is when you pay your credit card off with your checking account, which would be that would be part of the M1 money supply. They call it M1. So uh, this thing is very, very like stretched out and takes a lot longer than people think when you talk about ultimate settlement in the current fiat financial system. Uh, people just forget this again and again and again. And it's a basic concept once you understand it, but uh, just open up any Philistine financial press uh, these days or any day, and you're still going to get the Bitcoin is slow and clunky argument. Bitcoin can only do three to five transactions per second argument. Uh, they have no idea that Bitcoin is comparing with uh, central bank money or base monies of the past like gold and silver uh, when you're talking about ultimate value and ultimate uh, settlement. So that's the story. Um, here we've done it with the top 30 floating, relatively floating currencies in the world um, because peg currencies, just by the nature of I just said, there's actually these floating currencies are backing some of those peg currencies. So there's not even final settlement for a lot of those floating, there are a lot of those, uh, excuse me, pegged currencies. And so there I actually said in that, uh, in these, uh, this title cards, you got 30 currencies, 61 currencies uh, actually. Uh, directly use those 30 currencies. 52 other currencies uh, are pegged or boarded to those 30 currencies. So you get about 94% of GDP in this exhibit, 78% of global population. And if you put it in US dollar equivalent, which is all we can do at this point because Bitcoin is not valued at uh, $30 trillion, I'm sure it will get there. Uh, yes, we couldn't. We can't really put this in BTC terms to make sense, uh, but it does come out to $28.8 trillion dollars. And if you go back about two years um, pre-COVID, uh, say fall, uh, winter 2019, moving into 2020, we were under 20 trillion. So that's about 50% increase in US dollar terms uh, over, over two years. Uh, but we do have inflation we can talk about actually in the actual units, increases of euros, increases of yen, increases of yuan. Uh, the euro actually at the moment is the largest uh, monetary base, about 6 trillion euros, about $7 trillion. Uh, the dollar itself is ranked number two at $6 trillion. And um, that's where we have it. So Bitcoin is still remaining about sixth, sixth globally, the, the sixth uh, most valuable currency uh, money, I should say, the most valuable money in the world uh, behind the dollar, uh, Chinese yuan. So sort of in GDP order right there. So you have the US dollar at the bottom, Chinese yuan. Uh, European Euro, uh, Japanese Yen, and uh, formerly Great British Pound, there's that lighter shade of blue uh, before you have the remaining 25 in purple. So that is the money supply. That is the printing press. That is global central bank money. This is what you need to be thinking about if you want to think about where Bitcoin can go or the arena that Bitcoin's playing in or what Bitcoin is doing or how Bitcoin settles. Uh, this would be the arena that you you should be thinking of. All the other stuff, credit cards, debit cards, checking accounts, Venmo, PayPal, Elon Musk, all that comes very, 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 very distant second to uh, to this money supply. Yeah. And in the context of where we were Q1 2021 to where we are at the end of Q2 2021, what uh, I found pretty interesting was the fact that Bitcoin held its own at uh, number six 
in in terms of base money, uh, even with the price volatility in the Bitcoin world and the money printing going on alongside of it. Um, so it it's, yeah. seems like it's a mainstay in the top ten and approaching the top five. And uh, again, I think the the fact that it remains static at six from Q one to Q two, considering again the money printing and the price volatility of Bitcoin, is a very bullish sign to me uh, personally. I think that's just a very boring. Uh, development in in Bitcoin when when you compare it to to other base monies, like it is a base money that is competing with uh, the biggest base monies in the world right now. Yeah, absolutely, completely agree. And I think that um, that you know, unless some catastrophe happens uh, in Bitcoin land, which you know none of us can foresee, I just I don't see that changing at all. Uh, you're already we're already in, as you said, sort of this um, the top ten. We're in sort of the mid major uh, players. So if you want to rank them again in dollar terms, the pound is about at a sixty seven sixty eight thousand dollar Bitcoin price that would match the the Great British Pound um, Sterling. The Swissy is uh, Bitcoin passed for the first time this year ever. So that was a big one. The Bitcoin passed for the first time this year. That's about forty one thousand six hundred dollars, and then. Indian rupees down there, twenty six thousand. You just get currencies that you never want to hold. Other otherwise, if you were in their country, like the Canadian dollar, the Canadian uh, the loonie, there's sixteen thousand dollar bitcoins. Got to fall to sixteen thousand dollars to match the Canadian, and that actually is a huge. They had a huge amount of inflation from COVID. Canada was even outside of the top ten before COVID. It just ironically held its value in in dollar terms when uh, in the last two years, you know, and the Russian ruble and South Korean won. Those are like the largest floating currencies that you have you have a couple others that are kind of close every once in a while they'll bounce bounce in the top 10 but i'm not including this exhibit because again they're pegged like the hong kong dollar the danish kroner but the danish kroner is like completely backed by euros hong kong dollar is a currency board to the dollar so eventually um a website will get those currencies compared with their economies and stuff but that's that's not what we're doing at the moment so these are just the floating currencies so really all there is uh, after these mid-major currencies is as I said, it's just the dollar, you know, it's massive parade of distribution. You have the dollar, the yuan, the euro, and the yen. And even the euro, really the euro and the dollar are the only two currencies. Yes, we're speaking from the West and from our, you know, lens and point of view, but um, it's just you don't price too many goods, even in Asia, in, uh, in uh, British pounds, you know. So maybe back in the days uh, of British rule, you would have some better uh, connection there. But um, really, it's just like the dollar and the euro are the two like global currencies where you could have people that want to hold. You know, I think the Panama Papers, thirty trillion dollars of value was in there. Um, those are those are the currencies that typically hold across uh, across uh, borders. Uh, and now Bitcoin, and now Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, you know, it's another interesting one. If you go back to tweet two, actually, uh, this one I think might pique your interest with. Uh, with all your endeavors in the mining world, um, and and just click on the uh, the chart there. Thank you for driving this. Well, so I just I decided to uh, add the global electricity consumption. Our good friends, you know, at Cambridge um, have have their uh, mid range. It's basically like I put 100 terawatts. You know, I think it's a little bit below 100 terawatts uh, right now, but basically at 100 terawatt hours over 22,000, 23,000 terawatt hours globally 
um, it's very interesting that Bitcoin has accreted in value faster against traditional monies like silver. So non-industrial silver, it's, it's passed uh, last year for the first time. Uh, that's like silver, bullion, jewelry, ETFs, all that stuff. Um, it's like six, seven hundred billion. So Bitcoin's now larger than that, 133% of that value. Uh, gold's about 10 trillion. So Bitcoin, you know, at 900 billion or roughly, you know, about 9.2% of gold. Then there's that global fiat number, which is about 29 trillion. We're at 3% there. And then it's interesting with all the fear mongering they have with electricity, uh, at least on an annual spend annual uh, security spend, as they say, uh, Bitcoin is only 0.4% of all the electricity that's spent around the world. So I'm not, I don't really know if that's bullish or bearish or what to say about that. I just think it's interesting that it's accreted faster against money than it has against what everybody says. You know, the latest fear mongering about Bitcoin is that uh, obviously everybody knows it, but that's only 0.4%, roughly 0.5% of global electricity. Yeah, it seems like the uh, the criticisms are a bit overblown, if you will. Considering the uh, the utility a bit. by the Bitcoin, I mean, we can go down the energy debate for for hours, but it's something that we overcome. But you're you know it, you're more than six. If you just look at it compared to global money, right? Global monetary base. If we're talking roughly twenty twenty nine trillion dollars in, in U.S. dollar equivalent, I mean that's over six x more than Bitcoin's uh, pollution into the global energy consumption grid. And, I, and pollution is a bad word because I don't believe that uh, it's polluting, obviously. There's value. Everybody knows that there's value uh, in what miners do. Well, it's all relative and, and net pollution. You could, I think there's cases to be made particularly. I mean, obviously, I'm biased to great American mining. I think we're a net, we reduce pollution, particularly fugitive yeah. methane emissions. So it's like a net. No, go on, go for it, man. I'm I'm totally with you. I mean, I, I was just using that word as a as a you know descriptor of an output, if you will. Yeah, but just to uh, just to kind of flatter the Philistines again. I mean, it's not it's not really you know it's not there's no it, there's always positive value that's coming out of that for sure. Um, it, it's just you know pollution is a, it's such a relative term that um i i just think that it's it's way overblown and it's amazing just right there to see that it's six times less than the global value compared to money uh what it is its net effect on electricity consumption so and again you know it's not just straight up pollution i mean there's so much value and security and safety and uh you know wealth protection that's coming from that electricity spend, I mean, yeah, and then, anyway, being too verbose on that, but yeah, pollution is obviously not the right word. No, but it's it's like what the fuck happened in 1971. I'm not going to pull this chart up uh, on the live stream, but I, I have it here on my other computer. Uh, have you ever seen this? The the Henry Adams curve, uh, essentially. Uh, don't think so. Attempts to it attempts to basically predict out electricity production and consumption um, into the future. And as society grows, obviously, you're, you're going to hope that you're going to use more electricity because that means society is flourishing. And right around 1971, uh, the, the Henry Adams curve just gets completely borked. Um, and I do think 
Bitcoin is here to help fix that. I'll put it in Telegram. I'll send you this tweet. Um, Interesting. Yeah, no, I've actually never uh, never analyzed this. So the correlation is that the more electricity that you're using, presuming that that presumes a higher, you know, net wealth and and standard of living for everybody. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is, makes sense. Makes total sense. Right. This whole demonization of electricity. Yeah. It's anti-human at the end of the day. Um, I would argue. A lot of that going around these days, no doubt. So this is a new addition to the report. What what else sort of stuck out to you uh, uh, compared to Q1 2021 or quarters uh, past uh, throughout the history of you guys putting this out uh, every quarter? Uh, is there anything Q2 that shocked you? Um, anything that you think we should be paying attention to or, or looking into in more detail? Now I would go to um, thirty-five slide, th- tweet thirty-five slide. There, that goes back to the. So I mentioned in dollar terms, if we're roughly at you know twenty-nine dollar, twenty-nine trillion equ- uh, equivalent now, under twenty trillion uh, two years ago, that's roughly a fifty percent bump in two years. Um, but if you look at this slide, this is again uh, in native terms for each currency but you can still do a blended average of those if you look at again their their US dollar weight in the basket and you know that can change over time right cuz china in this chart china the data on china only started in uh, 2000 uh, and in other uh, countries you know it came along the way and only like 15 of the currencies started in 1970 in this exhibit but still that's just the best data that you have so you just the weight so, for example, the U.S. dollar is weighted at like forty percent back there in nineteen seventy, whereas now it's closer to like twenty percent because you have other currencies, namely China is a big one that came on. Um, but anyway, taking the actual inflation, and we talk about prices now or at some point, whenever you want. <laughs> Always everybody's favorite topic in uh, in Bitcoin land, especially after this uh, nice Powell speech and whatnot. But um, this. This is so much higher than you would ever think or be taught or whatnot all through the decades. Um, and it gets even more crazy as recent years have, have come to pass. 1999, that was Y2K bugs. People were actually taking physical based money out of ATMs faster than you know, central banks could keep up. So they really had to uh, you know, prime the pumps a lot there. Uh, and then when the quantitative easing uh, experiments started in 2009, uh, 2008, 2009, you see that, uh, that happening there where you're getting, those are annual. So the numbers that you're seeing on this slide are annual supply weighted growth. So that's, that's, it's the monetary, that's like the traditional, that's the Austrian economics definition of inflation. That's the actual unit growth, money growth of, uh, of the actual money supply. Uh, year on year. And and you can blend that. You can blend that. You just need a common unit of account. So I'm using the dollar to do that. Maybe that will change over time. We can blend it in, in Satoshis or whatnot when we have uh, more market penetration. But for now, it's it's fine to use the dollar. And it's just, you know, it's so much higher than you were ever taught. You know, it's, it's interesting. They've tried to unwind it in 2018, 2019. Uh, they really, really tried. But as much as they tried, they still finished positive a little over 1% in 2019. 
And, um, and then they just blew it out again, of course, last year with COVID. And then this year, they're on track for about 20% growth again. So again, the, what you need to think with this chart, not again, and said it yet, but what you need to think with this chart is rule of 72. So very simply, this is the, this is the compound growth. This is a very strong number. So just take 72 and divide it by this number, drop the percent sign. Percent signs already dropped on this chart for ease of uh, reading. But you know, when you say when you see numbers like 35, 34, 70, you know, th those those numbers going to 72 twice. So 72 divided by 35 is you know roughly two, right? That means your rate of uh, your double that gives you doubling time. So your doubling time with those rates of growth is two years. Is two years. And I'm not saying that price inflation equals monetary inflation. I'm not saying that at all. But look, one of those is an arbitrary sort of voodoo mess. And I actually had a recent article from Bloomberg highlighted I wanted to, uh, to mention with you. But anyway, when you talk about CPI, that's like just a voodoo sort of made up thing. This is at least real figures. This is actual supply. This is what you're talking about when you're talking about comparing Satoshis, uh, you know, 6.25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. This is actual supply of these currency units. It's far larger than you would ever see, hear, or think about on the mainstream corporate press. Uh, it's far larger. And blended, that white line will blend it over the entire um, 50 years now that we've had, basically since the collapse of the gold window. It's uh, close to 13% now, 13%. So 13% year on year, which is, you know, three times higher, sorry, six times higher, I guess, than the targets that have been in place since the 80s and 90s from some of these banks, Bank of New Zealand, Federal Reserve Bank, uh, European banks have always had different targets, but, um, you know, Bank of England, two, two, two to three percent, they're targeting of inflation, as they say, but their actual money growth is much, much higher much, much higher, blended close to 13%. So that's also the story of this exhibit, this sort of monetary base exhibit is that, you know, what more basic data that can you look at than the money growth rate of basic money? And you can actually look at that pretty easily in one chart if you blend all of the different figures together, like actual increases of dollars are inside this number, actual increases of yen of uh, yuan, of euros, of, of Aussie dollars, of Canadian loonies. It's all inside of this number. And it's much, much higher than you would have ever learned in bad university econ classes. Just a dumb Uncle Marty question here. Like, does the weighting of the individual currencies and in that overall growth rate, or the, 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 I guess, the contribution of any individual currency based money? To the mm -hmm. growth figures, does it really even matter? Or does the the combination of all of them grow? So, so my weighting, yeah, my weighting, um, the weighting is important, and it will. It is true, depending on your numeraire. And in my example here, the numeraire is the dollar. Dollars, you know, world's reserve currency, pretty much still. You know, Bretton Woods was all set around the dollar. All that stuff. You pretty much have to use the dollar. Every central bank uses a dollar base rate on their on their website and publishes as dollars their first exchange rate um it is true that the dollar the inflation the, excuse me the exchange rate of the euro the yen uh the yuan to 
to the dollar will affect the weighting of that currency. Uh, as, so as I mentioned, if you look back in like 1970, you're looking at a dollar's weighting of about 40%, 40%. So 40% of the movements of those currencies is 40%, but now it's only about 20%. Um, if there were one currency that would kind of make this thing weird, it would be the Chinese yuan because it's not a fully floating currency. It's been like, you know, it's been more floating than, yeah, it's been more floating than fixed since 2005. You can look that up. But, um, you know, we, they don't, they just make up their numbers. <laughs> They're a communist party. Uh, everybody thought the Soviet Union had money until they didn't. And then it all collapsed. So that is a made up thing, no doubt. And, you know, if they, you, you know, everybody knows they weren't transparent about COVID. You think they're going to be transparent about their monetary base? Definitely not. And, you know, maybe that's the case for many of these currencies. Who knows? But it's it's the best that we have. I mean, it is. I'm going to the source of each. I'm not finding this from like the IMF or anything. I'm going to each central bank's website to find this. So it's like it's all I can do. And, you know, would I prefer that the yuan was like a more floating currency? It would make more sense. Yeah. But I mean, it's it has to be there. It's it's a major. It's just a major store of, of wealth in the fiat world. So the yuan is now... Um, let me just, anyway, so answer your question, like, yeah, it, it does change it, but it's, it really doesn't change. If you look at, uh, say the dollar, um, let me just, let me answer the first question first about where the UN is one second. Sorry. Uh, the UN, you know, if you want to pull up any charts, So it's about it's about seventeen percent of the pie right now. The Chinese yuan um, dollar is uh, it's twenty twenty one percent. Sorry, I got to get better charts on my other computer. Look too, make this more smooth. Anyway, uh, yes, the weighting that that's how it's weighted. It's weighted by the monetary base of that particular currency at that particular period. But it morphs and changes over time. Like I don't, you know, I'm not just like a lot of these CPI indices do i'm not just waiting this and then forgetting it and like making it up based on my constituency or whatever like it it morphs every single month whatever month that effective currency's dollar value is that is the weight of the pie that you would that you would uh accept its actual currency's growth into the blended average so that's how this is done so i think it's pretty it's pretty uh rigorous i guess is the words to say how that's calculated um but even if you were to do that on like a dollar basis total blended like just look at the total amount and look at the dollars fluctuation it would be probably even less than that it would probably be like 10 percent maybe instead of uh 12. so uh so it's actually you get a more you get a uh, a a little bit higher figure and in my opinion more accurate figure uh when you actually look at each currency's growth and then weight it that way um, I don't know. Anyway, that's, 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 that's how it's done. That's this, that's just this example, this one blended, uh, chart soon. I'm not sure when I always say this, whenever I'm talking about this stuff, I will have uh, a better website where you can easily just scroll through every single currency's growth rates and see it much easier. But on this, this exhibit, I only post, uh, only post this blended, blended, uh, average, but there's a summary table at the very end where you can see it, yeah. uh, what, well. is, what is this chart saying to you? I mean, obviously, like the uh, the doubling effect of uh, the monetary, the doubling of the monetary base seems to be 
happening much more frequently these days, but it, it seems like particularly after 1999, there's maybe outliers or things just are tending to get more volatile. Certainly, it tells me things are getting more volatile. Uh, anybody, you know, like a child will notice that. On what's the more like, what's the more crazy side of that chart? Uh, certainly getting more volatile. Um, but it tells me that even back in the day, because again, look at the, you know, look at the stagflation period of the 70s or uh, you know, after the gold bubble pricked in the 80s and Wall Street days, all that stuff, great moderation. There's no number there that is like 1% to 2%. And if the theory is that you're going to target a price rise of 1% to 2%, you might think that it would be closer to that. Now, again, I've said it in the, the report. I say it here. Yeah, I have to use the caveat. Yes, this price Inflation does not equal monetary growth inflation, but ceteris paribus, ceteris paribus, an increase in the money supply will always lead to a rise in prices. How big is that rise in prices? I don't know, man. And I think this is where I've said it before as well, probably on your show. I mean, everybody has their own balance sheet. Everybody has their own um, CPI index, right? Every person, every day, every family. That's just why this stuff is just completely voodoo. So that's, that's what I wanted to bring up before was the Bloomberg um, article about this. Um, yeah, well, you're bringing that out. I'll just riff on that. Like, like you said, like there's imperfect information and you, know, you don't know where people are going to spend their money, uh, how allocators, institutional allocators are going to allocate their funds. And so you, you can't uh, exactly identify where prices are going to rise as a result of this monetary inflation, but you can just have the uh, base layer understanding that prices are going to rise somewhere in the economy or many parts of the economy. Yeah, exactly. And, and how much, um, you know, no one, no one knows that, but I, I would say looking at homogenous assets that have to do with money are probably the best place to start. Uh, so here you have it with base money, you have it with gold, silver, and Bitcoin. These are homogenous assets. And um, seeing where some rise relative to others will give you a pretty good idea of like what might protect you from that purchasing power. But this one, it's actually back from June, the end of June. It's a Bloomberg article. It's nerd out over the two flavors of inflation, CPI and PCE. So you know they point out how, I guess Bloomberg is going to try to now reconcile these two different indices for the reader because the Federal Reserve doesn't use the uh, CPI, they use the PCE. The Bureau of Labor Statistics CPI is used by you know some hedge funds, used by pension funds, those things. Um, it's used by Social Security as well, I believe. Um, but the fact that they're using two different indices anyway is just hilarious. And then like here, it's just like an example of a, a little chart like this, which I, I'll, I'll just basically read it for you is you got you got things like uh weight of shelter weight of gasoline weight of healthcare, other effects that they're going to try to reconcile reconcile while in may the cpi was five percent year on year and the pc was 3.9 percent like first of all those are actually high numbers for the mm-hmm. corporate press to ever ever report and uh and and you know those as John Williams has pointed out for years and years, they've changed the hedonics of all the, uh, the variables of all these inputs, basically. But it's just, it's just like, we could make a thousand, we could make a million charts 
of this, of, of trying to do a little bar chart of, current, okay, why was this one five was in three, 3.9? You and I can make up our own indices. Um, there's better indices, which I, I think are more, uh, more uh, apropos, like the Chapwood Index. Um, there's just, none of these are saying that they're like two, three, four percent. Uh, yes, it is finally uh, the narrative in the, in the media now that, yeah, it, it really might be a little bit higher than two, three, four percent, but even five percent. I mean, who knows? Like, I, you know, I can tell you my university was, it's definitely more than double within 15 years. Right. I mean, it's, it's not sitting at 2% year on year. That would be a, that would be a doubling every 30 years. So, um, it's just, it's voodoo. Like if, if you, maybe we've discussed this before, but it's trickling down to like high school, private education too. I know I went to a, a private high school and tuition when I was a freshman was around $8,000. When I left, it was around 12. And we thought that was pretty high. Now it's around like 25. And I graduated in 2009. So it's like, 25 now. And when you're in, when, in 2009, it was eight. Yeah. Or it was 12 in 2008. It was eight in 2006. Whenever I went in. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I mean, let me just do that really quick. You keep talking. I'll do that actual calculation. Yeah, but it's, I say this a lot. Maybe it's a bit uncouth and abrasive, but it is in an attempt to jar people awake, like this, the Federal Reserve and the corporate media and individuals spousing and that CPI is a, an accurate measure of inflation and that inflation is actually subdued and we need to target higher rates of inflation and so that the fed can reach its mandate of peak employment it's just these people are pissing in your face and telling you it's raining they're they're seeing what they can get away with because if you actually just live in the real economy and have to transact in it and you just minimally observant over a, a long enough time period it's blatantly obvious that prices for a lot of goods have changed use your eyes all you have to do is use your eyes and they just try to just dumb it out of people it's it's so it's so embarrassing so anyway that's that comes back to why why these charts why i try to focus on them and try to educate on like compound growth and all these things and it's a, you know the compound growth form is not that hard but you got to you got to take into account the periods that have passed and whatnot but anyway your example marty was what eight in 2006 mm -hmm. and 25 in 2021 basically right yes all right so it's 15 years that is a compound annual growth rate of 7.9%. You could do that on your, anybody could do that on the financial calculator. Just check my math there. 7.9%. So, or X inflation target. It's not three. Uh, remember, you know, years and years ago, like that's all that it was. It was, you know, that was the target, 2%. Um, even when they had <laughs> 0% is their uh, Fed funds rate. And, you know, it's just, it's just laughs. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's just fl completely flies in the face of the mainstream dogma. So, uh, 8% is a, grows a hell of a lot faster. That's, you know, it's going to double four times faster than something that is, is 2%. Yeah. Yeah. And as obviously we've talked about the volatility on the right side of this chart, again, the, the volatility, would you argue it has to increase from here, due to the debt obligations uh, that the Fed and the U.S. government have, 
and the need to service those. And they're not going to be able to do that. I wouldn't even say in a high interest rate environment, but just in an interest rate environment that is uh, higher than it is now. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I, like the, the, the recent Fed speeches and, uh, well, I guess just one since the Jackson Hole conference was, was canceled. But, uh, yeah, you know, tapering is, tapering is just around the corner, but, you know, don't expect it yet. And it's just this, this Fed speak just. Well, let's dive into this because there's a couple things going on right now. Um, obviously, all the institutional investors are like, taper, taper, taper. It's time to taper. And how well-versed are you on the inner workings of the repo market and what's going on there? Because obviously in September 2019, we had the spasm in the overnight repo markets where over the course of that year, JP Morgan transitioned out of cash and into treasuries. And in that overnight market, JP Morgan would have typically provided liquidity, but they didn't have that cash liquidity anymore because they, again, transitioned into treasuries. And so the Fed needed to step in in that time and provide liquidity to that market. And now it seems we're in a completely different scenario in which these reverse repo markets where the banks have a shit ton of excess cash and nothing to do with it. So they put it in this overnight cash market that'll get them a little bit of yield. And it's an insane amount of money. It's a, a, the overnight repo, reverse repo, excuse me, as has hit like 1.2 trillion, 1.3 trillion at some points in the last three months. And to me, as an ignorant observer watching this, that, that signals to me that there's just like so much cash, they've printed so much, and, and the banks just don't know what to do with it. So they're just willing to put it in a money market, overnight money market fund to get yield instead of putting it somewhere else, like stocks or other types of assets. Yeah, yeah. The, the places to park cash, uh, and if you are able to track uh, pension funds, hedge funds, large banks, uh, the inner workings of the repo market there. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen like a great indicator that can tr track that over time, but it, it does seem strange to me that um, you'd have something like that that happened in the fall of 2019. The repo market's going crazy, short-term interest rates spiking, and um, when at the same time in 2019 it was if you looked at this example of base money so base money is comprised of actual physical cash and then reserves which is basically uh when the federal reserve wants to put new money into the market it buys uh, treasury bonds from the banks it doesn't buy them from the treasury it buys them from the banks and the the large pension funds basically so um the fact that large banks at the time thought that and, and and so basically the reserves that banks hold right now it's it's they're they're higher capitalized on a global on a uh, in the u.s let's say, let's say at the u.s at a systemic level they have more reserves now per deposit and everything else than they've ever had it's it's they have so much um so why and it, they have that now and they also had that in 2019 why that sort of hiccup happened in the market I don't know. It's a, it's really like short-term, strange news stuff to me, and I don't exactly know. It's you know, I just I I'd need to see a better, some sort of better index would kind of track like why you have these uh, 
these major spikes in in interest rates. Um, but what I will say is probably five percent, sorry, five, not five percent, five banks uh, in the United States control maybe eighty to ninety percent of the reserves. So when you see um, haywires like that that happened in twenty nineteen September, it has something to do with the liquidity of those of the five largest banks. It doesn't have really much to do with Main Street or mom and pops or the global econ- or the real economy. Yes, those large banks feed into the real economy and they subsidize and fund a lot of a lot of companies, but it's very very top heavy. Uh, that's that's just that's the most that I know about the repo market that like I could say that make maybe unique about it because the system is capitalized really I mean the system like the system has they had it in 2019 it has now more reserves per deposit than it's had ever so why banks seem to be running towards the door um, in 2019 for for those reserves I'm just not sure but it is strange that you have basically the top five banks um, controlling 80. 80% plus of, of uh, global reserves in the United States, in the oh. United States. And that acutely highlights the Cantillon effect or the Cantillon effect, however. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. I think that, that makes, uh, that makes the, the Cantillon a very, uh, very valid argument. Uh, yeah. Just gold would reach certain players in the market and cause inflation. Uh, so, does it, so does it when big banks get to it first they benefit first and then we all suffer later yeah and then like especially after 2019 uh you don't have to focus too much on repo markets but i think this is important to note too like they added the list of individuals that could leverage the cantillon effect by essentially when that, when that liquidity crisis happened in the fall of not the, essentially they did expand the list of primary dealers and access to the Fed window to include the FICC, which is essentially uh, a vehicle through which to fund the margin trading of hedge funds like Millennium, 0.72, Citadel, because um, apparently they were at systemic risk of, of failing. Um, yeah, that's, that's true. It's, it's, it is strange, again, that you have um, so much liquidity on a systemic level but you still have to keep adding these special purpose vehicles, these special facilities, these extra lines of credit, basically, uh, for for so many different entities. Um, when again, systemically, like you have more reserves than you've ever had. So, uh, again, I, I obviously I'm with you, and I'm with most people that buy Bitcoin. Like I don't trust it. You know, saying that you have more reserves than you've ever had is not like a it's not a good thing. It's a supply and demand thing. But um, yeah, I wish there was a better signal to really track uh, what was happening there with the top banks and the repo markets and all the players. But I mean, other than the short-term interest rates themselves and when you see them spike, um, I don't know. I'd be curious if any listener has a good a good indicator there to track a little bit better. Well, I don't know if there's an indicator that I can point anybody to, but it just says to me like there's just so much notional leverage in the system. Like even if it is that well capitalized, like the the leverage and derivatives exposure of these entities is to such an extent that even being uh, more capitalized than ever is not enough, which highlights the volatility on the right side of the chart we're looking at. Like they have to continue pumping more and more liquidity into the markets to just keep uh, 
Yeah. And it's also interesting if you note that the 2019 annual growth, again, I'm not looking at the, this is not the, t- the dollar, the dollar still is probably roughly 20% of the pie of this number. But in 2019 there, the event we were talking about, um, you know, just before this whole COVID nonsense, uh, nonsense, but drama, um, the, uh, th- that was literally the lowest they had tried to uh, globally expand the monetary base since the year 2000. Um, and really, one of the lowest in the whole modern era. Like they really were trying to unwind all of the stimulus uh, those years, 2018, 2019. The Fed hadn't been printing at that point since 2014, actually. Um, hadn't been printing, you know, so it's, they were just letting the, the purchases slowly roll off. And uh, it still was a huge amount of reserves relative to the rest of the economy. But it's interesting that, yeah, you went from like almost 1% growth to again after the, after the whole COVID situation, thirty five percent, massive massive swings, and you know they'll tell you that that's for flexibility and uh, saving the economy, and it's all needed and 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 whatnot. But I think a currency that can divide into a hundred million units is probably a better way to track your wealth. Agreed. I would agree there. Um, it's only going to get weirder from here, freaks. That's that's my prediction. Um, I'm gonna pull up these one. compound. Yeah, I like because we went over this last quarter, and I just think again uh, we came to the conclusion, have touched on it during this conversation as well, that that trying to measure inflation uh, in this way over time, looking at doubling rates and compound annual growth rates, is probably a more uh, potent signal than than just trying to find one index that works and and going. Yeah. This, this is what we're looking at, right? Yeah, yeah. So this uh, this is a this is one exhibit here that is a bit more. It's not chart form, but it's uh, it's more U.S. focused. And um, so then compound growth again. So monetary base in the year two thousand was like six hundred billion. Now six trillion. That's twelve point two percent compound growth, or doubling every six years. Uh, so again, back to what we our, our discussion of interest or uh, of, in, of price inflation before you might as well think that you know good annual good consumption value-added goods would would have gone up by a similar amount well no it's it's only gone up by about 3.9 percent a year uh, so while money has has gone up by 12.2 percent a year gdp has only gone up by 3.9 percent a year in the last 21 years so another way of say that is it, it costs you 17 uh, one dollar base money we get you would have gotten you seventeen dollars of GDP in the year two thousand. Now it only gets you three point six three dollars. Um, broad unemployment uh, was about this one. You know, it's a bit more snapshotty, but you know, six point nine percent in the year two thousand. Uh, base money printed for one percent of empl- unemployment was eighty seven billion then. Uh, now five hundred ninety seven billion dollars of base money per one percent of unemployment. So. What's the growth rate on that? That's 10.1%. So compare that 10.1% with whatever you hear in the corporate press. It's a bit higher. Uh, same thing with government debt. Same thing with gold. But again, gold, a lot of people use the gold price. That's the, that's the wrong lens of gold, in my opinion. It's just like Bitcoin. Uh, the right lens with Bitcoin is to look at Satoshi's, the, the supply of Satoshi's now versus the supply of Satoshi's you know, five years ago. It's the same thing with gold. So still keeping it in dollar terms, it's about 10 trillion of gold now available, including jewelry. 
about one trillion of gold uh, twenty years ago. That's a twelve percent compounded growth. S and P would have gotten you eight percent with dividends, and then uh, bonds gotten you only four point seven percent. So the point is, all those other assets uh, were growing, you know, and, and and not necessarily in good categories, right? Like government debt or gold. Everybody who hates gold, well, gold went up twelve percent. The whole gold, the supply of gold value in dollars went up twelve percent. And while GDP was only going up 3.9% and theoretically inflation over probably 20 years, you know, typically goes by your 2% target, as they say, in central banks, even though in recent years, yes, like very recent, you know, corporate headlines, it's now like four or 5%. But that's not your, that's not what they've said over the last 20 years. Yeah. And I, I think for anybody who's watching this on YouTube, uh, I'm, I have my mouse over these two numbers right now, the gold cap uh, growth between 2000 the year 2000 and uh, q2 2021 uh and the monetary base expansion they're very similar monetary base expanded and compound annual growth rate of 12.2 percent and then gold market cap at 12 percent. so that would elude uh, or give credence to the fact that, that gold is still living up to the store value that yeah. has been historically yep and it goes back to that same argument you know ceteris paribus just a growing money supply will uh, will lead lead to a rise in prices. So yeah, the gold price per ounce has gone up a lot since the year 2000. And if you look at the total gold value, which is what you're doing there, uh, interestingly, it's about the same as as uh, as the monetary uh, base. And if you probably don't have to scroll back to it, sorry, I interrupted you earlier, but that was just about Bitcoin. Um, so if you look at gold in its native ounces, right, so, or native units, which are ounces, I mean, they use tons, but I, I like to use ounces because, um, go, you know, gold, just a little bit higher, go up to uh, the Bitcoin one. Uh, this is fine, too. Um, but, but what I was just going to say about, about, uh, this about one? a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Uh, there, that one. So that's Bitcoin now over uh, its lifetime, its lifetime. Um, and this is the same formula that I use for all the others. So I'm taking the monthly growth and compound it's annual, just just because with my new website, I'll probably do different uh, different methodologies for that. But this this works mostly the same. So in 2021, in 2021 only, Bitcoin is actually right at, if not slightly under, the uh, growth rate of gold, which is very interesting. So gold has traditionally in its native units for about 200 years, actually closer to 300 years, been growing about 1.8%, 1.8%. And now Bitcoin is uh, from the, you know, from the happening, the recent happening, and then also just the, uh, the uh, continued, um, you know, less Bitcoins for higher stock, uh, you're getting, you're getting uh, very close to gold's annualized inflation rate. So it's about 1.7% this year in 2021. And uh, fully, you know, as a year on year basis, that will happen probably next year where it will actually if on a year on year basis be, be uh, less than gold. And so this is another interesting one just from Bitcoin as well. Like you, you, you if you look at 2009, yeah, that's the way the protocol was. It was a massive, massive annualized inflation rate is 2,800%. Uh, same thing in 2010, 2011. And the line shows the lifetime. So if you did, it is true that if you looked at Bitcoin uh, in 50 bitcoins you just took as a stock 50 bitcoins on january 3rd 2009 and then you took uh 18 point 
1.8 million Bitcoins today run that compound annual growth formula. It is true. Um, you actually get some number that's close to 60% a year. So that, that seems big. That seems bigger than anything else we've been talking about. But obviously, as we know, the unique thing about Bitcoin and that's, this protocol is just that's, that's never going to happen again. This was just the way that Satoshi did it to distribute the coins. And until, you know, 2141, the rate of growth is probably less than 0.1% per year, less than 0.1% per year uh, from now until when, this, when the coins are uh, fully issued. So it's just an interesting and different way. No money's obviously worked like that, but it's, you know, it's different than even gold or silver. Um, and we know that the supply is 21 million and that's it. So it's just well, a way to look at it. Yeah. When it comes to the supply distribution of Bitcoin, particularly, like, I really like the front, the like front loaded distribution, loaded. like getting half the coins out in the first 210,000 blocks and then 75% out by block 420,000. Many people think it's very aggressive and could hurt the protocol in the long run but i think it's i mean hal alluded to this and a bunch of other bitcoiners have in the past it was probably necessary to to create and spark a flywheel of interest so that people were incentivized to to drive value to the network and ensure that it, it succeeded and then on top of that i think considering the lack of attention on the network in, in the first five years of its existence uh, it allowed for like a grassroots movement of people to distribute that supply as opposed to other entities, whether it be governments or large banking entities that, that could co-opt uh, the supply of the network pretty, pretty trivially and yeah. curb the incentives of the network. So I, I, I'm a fan of, of the, the aggressive distribution early on. Yeah, I very much agree with that. I think, um, obviously he, he never knew what could have been happening 12, 13 years on, but the fact that, uh, that it's got this much value and uh, these many coins are, you know, are out and it can't necessarily be, you know, massive buy orders can't be placed by any single government. It's a very, very interesting uh, feature. Yeah. We do have whales and Satoshi himself is a whale and there's all those issues and Coinbase is going to write about that as a potential risk in there in their uh uh but you know um that's it, it is what it is and it's a uh it's just like a money that we've we've truly uh, never seen from that side so i think it's it is uh I'm so, a fan. i am as well and so you mentioned obviously this chart we're getting to the annual growth rate that uh, of the supply, or at least the distribution of the supply, we already know what the final supply is. Uh, that is comparable with gold. Like, so, what do you see is like in terms of comparing Bitcoin to other base monies as the next checkpoint or uh, like milestone hit? You think it's more falling below that that supply rate growth, or is it overtaking? Uh, I think like we're, we're in, I mean, we're out of the early adoption, no doubt. Uh, you can't really say you're an early adopter at this point. Everybody pretty much has heard of Bitcoin. Everybody's grandma has pretty much heard of Bitcoin. Uh, so we're at an interesting uh, 
phase with mining security, where, as we saw with what happened in China this year, I mean, you know, 40% plus of hash power is basically moved. Um, I don't know if it ended up being that high that actually moved. Um, you tell me. But the... Certainly came off the network for a Yeah. yeah. Um, but but the, the threat from governments is real. Uh, to use the word that we were talking about earlier, pollution is going to be a word that's going to be thrown around a lot when people don't understand that there's actually real value behind that consumption of electricity. So it's not polluting the world like uh, many other things are polluting and, uh, you know, whatever, not back to that whole argument, but uh, we're, we're, we're here. I mean, governments can step in. What was that? I mean, there was that meme or gif or whatever from like Malaysia where they were like steamrolling a bunch of mm-hmm. yeah. um, things like that. Or, like that's just, that's propaganda. I mean, that's, that's, that's unbelievable propaganda um you know we're only a trillion at a trillion dollars i mean you know yes money is so skewed that there's only five currencies bigger than bitcoin at the moment um this is where we are i mean like the 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 threat from governments to walk in and shut down your miner is real so i think the ability to mine in secret the ability to mine in a distributed uh just just uh, uh risk averse censorship resistant way all these things like where, where you can just you can resist government coercion that's that's going to be important for bitcoin at this point and so i think we're we're already there we're right in the thick of it um the the next like milestone as far as i could tell is just people start to start pricing things in sats and they start to price things in uh bitcoins and, and and things like that because we're already i'm already there with three percent of the monetary base three percent of the money supply half a percent of global electricity um yeah you're gonna have a lot of regulatory battles and stuff and I, but as long as bitcoin can remain censorship resistant resist 51 percent attacks um i don't see any other milestone other than just being priced in bitcoin like where i would where start to have these charts and at some point, would start to switch them not from being, you know, the U.S. dollar as the main sort of unit account of account there, or the effective effective uh, exchange rate that's the most easily for other people for most people understand. But start to use uh, start to use satoshis or bitcoins, and yeah, it's going to take a long time, maybe you know, 10, 20 years. Is it though? Maybe not. Before we hit record. Maddie and I were discussing the nature of hyperinflationary events, which I'm a very strong believer that it is a combination of the expansion of the monetary base and, and the inflation of the units of, of the overall currents, coupled with a collapse in confidence of the users of that currency in the, the maintainers of, of the monetary policy to actually do it competently. Um, and I think here in the U.S., around the world and, and then another thing too like why i think it may happen more quickly is because it seems like the the powers that be are losing confidence in their own ability especially as they posture to transition to these central bank digital currencies which sort of provide a scapegoat that allows them to potentially paper mache over the uh, systemic problems that they've created in this very analog monetary system that that they're running I'm I'm very skeptical on CBDCs. I'm very skeptical um, that they'll ever come to market, or that 
uh, that they will overtake the value of reserves and um, paper paper notes in a way that's like more dominant than Bitcoin overtaking those same things, meaning the global monetary base that you're looking at right now, the charts up on the screen. I need to write this stuff down more. I need to start doing daily uh, daily bents like you. Um, but the um, I, I I was looking back for some of my comments. I was actually not looking back, like listening back to early shows. And I, I did find it actually in an interview that I did with you. Um, it was in New York. It was like three years ago. And uh, stable coins were kind of like, that was, you know, we're still in like this ICO boom, maybe pop at that point. It was like, just after 2017 uh, highs and the tether and tether's problems with Bitfinex, whatever they were doing were front and center. Um, but you had other players like Gemini was really touting their uh, regulation of that. And, you know, as they always do being properly regulated and all this stuff, you didn't have C, uh, you didn't have USDC then, but you had, you know, maker was doing their thing and whatever, like <sighs> this is free real estate. Like uh, people that have listened to my, show they know i've been talking about this more lately it's not like i've made any money on this prediction or whatnot but or could make money at least i know how but i i think i I think it's much more likely in a world where the u.s dollar is still the relatively freest market compared to something like china or russia which no one had confidence in the ruble or the yuan um the you have the u.s dollar still the the relatively most uh stable market this is still the in the in the most stable market. It's still the most uh, reserve reserved currency, and you have players that have taken risk, and they're totally doing like Ripple type stuff. I mean, a stablecoin is just you know it's 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 not really decentralized. I mean, you have these entities that are you know just a couple entities running these distributed ledgers, um, but it is working. It is working. Things like USDT, USDC. They want, you know, even the Gemini dollar, like they want these things to be seen appropriately in the eyes of regulators more and more. No CEO there wants to go to jail and they're working and the US dollar is the largest market. I really do think that stable coins will, I mean, it's 120 billion in total value in stable coins right now. I really do think that that uh, increases much faster, much, much faster than any CBDC. I mean, you got from like last year, I think the Bank of England had an official task force to get a CBDC out for their currency. But again, it's the pound. Like, yeah, they got, I guess they need a better currency now with Brexit, but you know, they need to hold more, more value and they can't rely on the Euro, European Union as much. But it's just the dollar is the main, that's the main network effect of currency around the world. Everybody knows that. It's not a secret. And stable coins are doing well in this crypto space for as weird as they are and not centralized or not uh, purely distributed or whatever they are doing well so my point is you know it's not a profitable venture to do a euro backed stable coin or a yen backed stable coin because those currencies all these other large currencies have negative interest rates so why would you do it why would you you know trade why 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 would you uh back this with those with assets that bear interest in that currency when you're getting negative interest rates. Yeah, you could try to hedge and swap the Bitcoin that you might receive while you issue those tokens, but that's a different thing than what the commercial paper and the treasuries and the bonds 
that Tether and USDC are using. They're using you know, US dollar denominated interest paying assets to fund their operations. And that's working. So that, that's working. But you can't, you literally in the world we're in today, you can't do it with the euro. Maybe you can do it with like an algorithmic coin. And there's people that are talking about that. But you can't, you can't do it with a stable coin. So stable coins are out there. So the only other way is the CBDC. But who's going to want to, I mean, that CBDC at most is going to go alongside the reserves. It's going to go alongside the, uh, this, the, the Bank of England says this as well. China might want to truly try to squash physical cash. And just, you know, everybody knows that with, you know, Tencent and, and, and WeChat, Alipay, all that stuff, they're trying to do that now. But um, the CBDC aspect of that at most is going to go alongside these other base monies that we were charting on this presentation. And I, I got to talk to someone who's like really working on these projects in depth. But I, I mean, who's to say that the security of a central bank board uh, running a you know public facing ledger that's going to be on every citizen's phone. Who's to say that's going to work? Who's to say that's going to really? This is really going to work. I, I just we haven't really seen it. Uh, everybody talks about it, but you, the most you have is task forces. I think the U.S. is the farthest away from doing a CBDC. So all that leaves is stable coins. And my point is, I think you're going to have stable coins, particularly the U.S. dollar variety, grow a lot faster. I'd love to see them. I'd love to see them pegged to, you know, some Bitcoin sidechain or whatnot. But that's uh, that's a whole another can of wax. I, Bitcoin's still in. As long as you have the proper vision, you know that that uh, one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin, so that's fine. But in the in the short to midterm, I really see stable coins being a much bigger market share in like the global crypto market than than CBDCs. Yeah, number of things there. I- agree the ability for these governments to implement it successfully get into the hands of citizens and and create a transition that is orderly it seems unlikely to me though in china at least in china the ccp has proven that via proxy of companies like alipay wechat they can exert a considerable amount of control um but would they consider those Systems, digital currencies, probably not, not in the form, not at the central bank digital currency, certainly. But they are going to try the digital yuan, it seems. Um, and then beyond that, too, like when it comes to stable coins, I said this over the weekend, a bit block boom, like it may rub some Bitcoiners the wrong way, but it's undeniable, that it, particularly in emerging markets, stable coins provide an immense amount of value um, for the individuals living there um, They that need to sort of uh, separate Bitcoin's price volatility from their need to, to interact with the day-to-day economy. Um, yes, they'll save in Bitcoin. Matt Alborg's done a lot of great research on this and, and helped uh, surface a lot of this information, on-the-ground information. But I, yeah, I think stable, I agree. Stable coins are going to be here, at least during what may potentially be a transition to a Bitcoin standard in which every, everybody starts pricing things in Bitcoin. It's uh, it's interesting that you see like Visa adopting rails of USDC and those things. Um, and I would say when you bring up the Chinese companies, I mean, those are on the same level of that. Like, yeah, they could be totally, pro- but so is Tether. I mean, like Tether's this whole issue of, of Tether. So, so this Tether company or group of companies, whatever it is now in the, it's still in the Caymans. I don't even know. But um, 
the it's a totally centralized thing it's just a it's a basket of uh assets uh backing this this uh this instrument and that's that happens all the time in the stock market today anyway and it works and they say it, you know it's it's regulated it needs to be regulated and and that's obviously the low hanging fruit for regulators because they it's something that's working they don't actually have to do it themselves because they're incompetent to do it themselves obviously so they they can say we're protecting investors we are here for the investor you just need to be under our orbit of regulations and hey we, we will we will let you do this is it either comes I'm not sure, but USDC, Gemini, some of these other ones, I think they're, I think they're, they're planning on being well, uh, you know, greasing up their shoulders to rub with, uh, with, with all the regulators in Washington. Yeah. No, I mean, it's inevitable. And so would you feel comfortable labeling, labeling these as quasi SDRs? Uh, stable coins. Yeah. Or- no, no, stable coins, I would say are just, um, it's like a money market mutual fund that trades like cash. So, you know, when Warren Buffett says he's in cash, right? He's got it out of stock. He's in cash. He's in cash in his brokerage account. But that's like, uh, I forget these like premier reserve. I mean, these are like these major money market mutual funds that are basically just dollar assets. They're dollarized assets. So it's like he's, he can say he's in cash, but it's just, it's, it's basically a stable coin that sits in his brokerage account. It's not, you know, it, it, it's a slightly different thing, but the, 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 the challenge to that type of money market mutual fund is it's, it's sits in one brokerage account or a group of brokerage accounts, but a stable coin can move very easily from one brokerage account to another. So from that innovation where it just trades like cash, it trades like cryptocurrency, uh, that's light years ahead of holding your money in cash with your brokerage on a money market mutual fund. So it's more like M3 money, which is, by the way, the repo market is in M3 money as well, which goes back to the discussion we had at the very beginning. All of this stuff is just claims based on a single issuer. If that single issuer fails or if they issue too many uh, tokens that don't back the assets properly or their assets fail or they don't do their due diligence or their investments fail, their leverage, that's all like free banking stuff. And I'm totally fine with it in principle. Um, whether it's a good idea to do some of those transactions is a whole other thing, but I'm certainly not putting my faith behind regulators to figure that out. Um, at the same time, it's it's lowest hanging fruit for them. So I, I really, again, it's it's free real estate. I'm not making money money on that prediction at all. But like, I think um, I've said it for years and years. Like, I think stable coins will be here. Uh, like that, that's that's what that's what's going to happen in the Western world is U.S. dollar denominated denominated stable coins are gonna be like the thing that they regulate in crypto and i just i can't see the federal reserve doing any cbdc anytime soon but i mean i could be wrong could be wrong but that's what i think yeah i think if they're smart too like why try and do this by yourselves if the free market's already doing it and and, an argument to be made that the free market via the creation of these stable coins creating demand for the dollars globally um which the fed should like correct i think that i think they do you've heard a little bit of those like you get some some very negative damning stable coins are dangerous articles and then you get like a little bit of like i can't remember this name of one of the governors that wrote like oh we should embrace stable coins they're doing exactly these things so but again this is all regulatory stuff that uh 
look more at what they do, not what they say. And um, for stable coins, but back to the monetary base stuff, look at how much the money supply is actually growing. That's the important thing. And uh, that's just what I think people should get out of those exhibits. I know you got the stock to flow one up. I don't know if you... Uh... I just want to put another chart up. You think we should focus on this or... Ones, um, there's a little bit... I, I, I'll... T- <laughs> You know, I get on these tangents, but this one, like there's, there's uh, people that like gold and hate silver and there's people that like silver and they think it's going to do much better than gold. Uh, both of those, in my opinion, are looking at the correct lens of each asset. So uh, a lot of people will say um, gold has a great stock to flow. It's usually like 50, 60. It's closer to like 50. Uh, as you see there, all the gold things. There's different ways to measure that. I'm doing trailing 12 months. I'm doing tra- trailing 12 months of uh, of uh, uh, of just bullion, not jewelry. I'm doing trailing 12 months of stuff with jewelry. I'm doing trailing 12 months of stuff with uh, new all-time units, which include industrial. All those, These are all different stock to flows that you can create. It's just the inverse of the rates that we've been talking about, which I prefer. I actually prefer the inflation rates because they compare to interest rates, so on and so forth. But there's a stock to flow People like to talk about stock to flow sometimes for obvious reasons in the Bitcoin space. But for those that like gold and hate silver, uh, they usually point out that, okay, well, silver actually has a very small amount of monetary bullion. That is as true. Uh, monetary bullion where you take out all the industrial silver, you take out all the, the uh, jewelry, and you're left with a very small percentage. It's like sub 10%. It's true. The, of, of the silver, all-time silver, it's like 56 billion ounces of silver have been mined throughout humanity. So maybe I can't remember the exact amount, but it's sub 10% of that is in uh, silver monetary, like bullion form, coins and bars. To say, if you do that, you get a stock to flow. If you, if you take the actual, uh, so you take the total inflation rate of uh, all the silver that's for industrial, all the silver that's for, um, it's for jewelry, all the silver that's for uh, monetary stuff. And then uh, t- we'll take the, take the stock of only uh, monetary silver, stock to flow, divide that stock by all of this new inflation, you're going to get a very low number for silver. And it's true. It's about four. Uh, that's the number at the far, far right of the spread of the, of the chart there. So you have monetary metal units, but you have new flow, all the new flow that comes from industry or whatever. But then they'll just go back and there's a gold bugs I'm talking about now. They'll go back and use the gold, uh, the old, like the, the most cited gold of like 50, 60, but that's the wrong comparison. First of all, I don't like this. I, I think it's a bad, it's not economic. No one uses it for anything, but whatever. If you want to use it to pump gold, that's fine. The, uh, you got to use, you got to do the same discounting of golds. Uh, stock as well. If you're going to take all of the gold flow each year, which includes industrial, includes dentistry, includes jewelry, you're going to take all of that, but but you have to also divide gold by a discounted flow of only gold bullion. And it's true, it's better, it's better, but no gold bug ever will quote that. So the, the really the comparison, if you're going to audit, it's 22, it's the far left. So that's, that's gold's uh, just monetary metal stock divided by all new flow compared to silver's just monetary metal stock divided by all of its flow. So th- anyway, the point is gold bugs need to take heed and use that number, not the other ones uh, when they compare that, that four for silver to make, you know, cause they're trying to make gold look so much better. Anyway, 
that's that's for for gold bugs and then for silver bugs it's the opposite it's in other charts we don't have to look at it or other other graphs but basically people like to say that since gold uh, uh, gold's price is like 90 to 100 times silver's price in the last few years they think that that's how much it's going to rise um but of course you know if you looked at the old ratios of 16 to 1 15 to 1 12 to 1 we're actually at that right now you're just not using the correct metric you don't look at the price you look at the price in a market cap form you look at the price in a total value and so in that case silver would actually have to fall slightly to reach uh its historical ratio of about 16 to 1. so that's one where i'm trying to uh tamper the gold bugs a little bit and tamper the silver bugs a little bit both of them usually make kind of spurious comparisons among each 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 other's sort of stock and flow but it's a lot of stock and flows you can do you can do many different definitions of stock and flow i'm not necessarily a fan of it but uh there it's it's there if you want to read more about it yeah it's been interesting seeing silver bugs specifically become more prominent or widespread if you will like silver's the precious metal bug to be in the last 12 months i had a cousin reach out to me he's like yeah you got to be buying silver not bitcoin sell your bitcoin i'm like i don't know what to tell you sir but i'm certainly not buying any silver yeah yeah uh like i said it's it's not going up 100x uh i, I mean i don't know i can't predict the market all right but if you're going to use these fundamental analysis you got to think of the uh so here click that that chart's a good one to show it just that that gold one so just take the 11.18 trillion right there and um divide that by let's say the uh silver all time which is 1.31 trillion in dollars it'd be the same it'd be slightly different if you do it in monetary metal units but no it'd be the same the exact same so that's a stop that's a gold to silver ratio of eight and a half eight and a half so you'd actually need if you want to get back to the gold to silver ratio of 16 either the gold price needs to rise or the silver price needs to fall <laughs> oh so that's 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 the point out so silver bugs there if you really think that it's going to go 100x you're you're not looking at the correct lens it's not just simply the gold price divided by the silver price you got to look at the actual stock of the stuff yeah and that's and that and those other charts as well but anyway this way this thing compares all the different supplies you got all-time gold gold with jewelry gold with bullion silver all-time silver available so with jewelry and then where does bitcoin fit into that gold and central banks that's what this slide is yeah the gold bugs or excuse me the silver bugs are always like the industrial use case is so high and there's only going to be more demand with like tesla and all these batteries and it's like uh maybe yeah, I wouldn't put any of my uh stock so to speak behind tesla but that's uh yeah we've <laughs> that before he's got a government monopoly so that's you know that's why he's uh he's doing all right making his money from those government subsidies yeah how long will that last i'm not so sure freaks i'm not so sure of course i've been wrong for now so what do we know yeah, uh, do we know anything really we just like yeah hey well, at least we can put out some good charts and you know talk about why bitcoin's a good bull case yeah uh, again i think i love that you do these these updates and i think years from now we'll look back in posterity and be very thankful that you were documenting all this in real time um 
I'm not sure so many will say that, but uh, yeah, it's it's nice to. Uh, I think it's just nice to use the correct lens of the actual supply that's going to compare to these to these uh, 21 million Bitcoin. And this stuff, you know, now that it's built out, we can keep keep updating it and uh, and 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 uh, tightening it up. So hopefully, it will help for future analysis as well for people that want to you know protect their wealth and look at bitcoin but there you see on this chart as well like how bitcoin which this happened just this year i mean at thirty five thousand dollar bitcoin you get to basic this is hey, these are rough estimates I, I have many sources that i do to come up with these gold and silver numbers no one knows for sure it's not like a blockchain but um you're roughly at uh two-thirds of a trillion in available silver that is jewelry plus bullion jewelry plus coins and bars and again, the vast majority of that is jewelry and silverware, but that's about two thirds of a trillion Bitcoin passed that this year. Actually, last year, I guess it was. Uh, I think last year it hit over thirty. Last year, in the last twelve months. Yeah. So, um, and there it is. That's all that Bitcoin has left for silver. But that again, like uh, people just even like the corporate press definitely screws us up, but. The Bitcoin journalists as well. Like I remember in 2016, 2016, uh, people were saying that Bitcoin had passed the value of silver. That was just way completely wrong. At that time, there's like maybe like 15 million Bitcoin. It had passed the value of one year's worth of production of silver, but it didn't pass the stock of silver. So now it passed the stock of silver. Um, just again, got to be kind of rigorous about some of those points. So that's that's what it's done this year. For the rest of silver, if you include like in industrial usage, which again is a very rough estimate, it's about another fifty percent of the silver value. You get to one point three trillion. Bitcoin's got to you know got to get to about 70, 70 grand a coin to match that. Uh, then you just have yeah, you know, gold in central banks, gold that's in bullion form, which would be about two hundred forty thousand. Once you're there, I mean, again, once you're there, why would we? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we still will do this in in U.S. dollar terms, but I think. I think you're going to start very quickly looking at a lot of these things in Bitcoin terms. Um, it really will make sense to uh, to look at these things in Satoshi's. Uh, the closer it gets to to their value, so yeah, so, it'll be interesting to see if these exact price points. I mean, obviously, the the price chart that we're seeing here on top. Are you freaks who are just listening at home? We're looking at a chart of. Um, Bitcoin compared to gold and silver for different applications and at what price Bitcoin will have a higher market cap than uh, the particular applications of gold or silver right now. It is in front of silver available for jewelry and bullion, gold reported in repositories, which is bullion, silver monetary, which is bullion, and silver reported in rep repositories and central banks. So Bitcoin... You have to go to $100, back to $100 Bitcoin price to reach uh, the amount of silver in central banks for mm -hmm. silver bucks. Yeah, so right now the, the next behemoth to take over is silver all-time mined, which would pass that at, at June 30th, 2021 prices, $69,800 Bitcoin price would surpass that at $1.3 trillion. But like, as this Bitcoin's monetization continues it'll be interesting to see if these price points maybe come down and bitcoin's able to overtake these particular applications of, of gold and silver quicker because they're demonetizing as bitcoin's monetizing as as individuals throughout the global economy are, are weighing the opportunity cost of holding gold or silver as opposed to bitcoin
That's a very good question, Marty. That's that's I was sort of alluding to that without saying it, but that's that you put it basically hit the nail on the head there because I'm not sure in 10 years, and to your point earlier, it might be faster. Like there's no reason, you know, this money's not a measuring stick, so these are all fluid. So there's no reason that gold and silver quickly go down in dollar terms or not quick, you know, relatively quickly go down and then Bitcoin goes up. There's no, there's no reason that they all have to go up as Bitcoin goes up, as Bitcoin number go up, they, they could go down in dollar terms. And then at some point might make more sense to look at it all in Satoshi. So that's a very good point. It's a very good point. Gold and silver and global fiat could all go down, uh, as, as Bitcoin goes up. It's not like it, it's not like it has been over the last 20 years, well, 10 years during Bitcoin's time, it's where they've all kind of gone up. Uh, I don't see why that's guaranteed to happen in the future. Well, I think we're seeing it this year, particularly gold is what? Static to down, correct? Especially in this market environment, which is... Yeah. Very yeah. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. Um Unfortunately, I only have 14 minutes left with you. What what should we jump into? Should we go into more charge? Should uh, we... I apologize. I was I was uh, you mentioned for the listeners. I was I was thinking when a lot I was talking during the show, you know, that everybody would be looking at these charts, but I kind of forgot that this is uh, first and foremost an audio podcast. So I apologize if a lot of my ramblings weren't too coherent to the listeners with these charts. But um, you do a very good job of explaining what you're describing. It's easier when you're when you're looking at it for sure, but. Uh, I would just say, yeah, I mean, we're going to keep, you know, nothing too, nothing too groundbreaking probably to close it, but we'll keep updating this every quarter and it's probably not going to happen before the end of this year, but there will be uh, a very, very new and improved and boosted uh, Crypto Voices website at some point where be able to, you know, we're going for subscriptions and making it much uh, better user interface. And we have a lot, lot, a lot of data now built up a big, big database. So I think that we'll be able to, uh, if those that want to access it for investing purposes or trading purposes or whatever, uh, we'll get a little bit better ease of access than just my static charts here. Um, I, I, I would imagine that this is something that some institutional funds would pay up for pretty considerably, this type of data. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, but um, it's. Hey, it, have more confidence in your 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 matters and your, your the analysis you're doing. I like it to be. You know, I'm a big fan of John Williams and stuff. I like. You know, he's kind of a, uh, you know, one man band running his thing. Um, I would like it to be something like that, where like people that appreciate it, you know, can pay up in Bitcoin and enjoy it, and uh, you're price in Bitcoin will get, you know, as long as you spend and replace, you'll be fine. Your price in Bitcoin will go down every year. Uh, I would very much like to do kind of a Bitcoin only subscription for people that really like it, like grassroots stuff. I'm not necessarily thinking that it would be some corporate stuff at this point because there's so many, I mean, corporations want to trade all these shit coins anyway. Right. So it's, that's not what this is about um, at all. So uh, I would part with some sets for, for the ability to, to manipulate this data, not manipulate it, but get more in depth with it. Uh, it's much appreciated, man. We'll see. We'll see. It's it's uh, it's a pain in the ass working on that back uh, the back end. I've uh, I've learned, you know, doing doing my own kind of website like this, but we're working on it. We're working on it. So that's that's coming. That is coming. I think I've probably said that maybe even past two updates with you. I'm not sure, but uh, it's 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 a long time coming. Well, I cannot wait. 
I cannot wait to see you again in person. Do you think it'll ever happen? Will I be waiting forever? Do you think we get beyond this increasingly dystopian world in which people are are tagged and herded uh, into their pods? You, you think we're at a breaking point at all? You think people are starting to wake up? I haven't bought my VR goggles yet. I don't plan on it. So let's just uh, let's just keep those beers in mind, and uh, and 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 just just focus toward that goal. That's all I can say. I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll we'll get there. We will get there. Keep the faith and uh, you know stack sats and do all the rest that you guys claim, and we'll get there. The human spirit shall prevail. Freedom shall reign supreme at the end of the day. It may be dark right now in some aspects of life. Bitcoin obviously provides a lot of optimism and reason to be hopeful for, for a better future. Um, it does, man. We'll get there. I'm confident. Um, but yeah, uh, let me know. You're probably not with your family going to be coming over to Europe anytime soon or for the job, but uh, let me know if you're over. Yeah, but I may make it over there. And if you ever come to Texas, let me know. Yeah, congrats. Congrats on the big move. You and every other <laughs> relatively intelligent person in the America seems to move to Austin. So I don't know how that's going to be for local Austinites a couple of years from now. But uh, oh. so see, everyone is moving there. Huh? Are you, you're not, are you moving to Austin or no? Yeah. Yeah. It is awesome. Like everybody's going to Austin. Yeah. And like people are like, oh, you're going to like, Ruin Texas, you're like no. I hope you people in Austin understand that the Bitcoiners that are coming at least are, are coming to make sure Bitcoin happens. We're we're retreating to Austin, getting the mind share there, um, falling back to the Republic of Texas, and then we're gonna fortify the defenses of the Bitcoin network and uh, the the pitch that we're giving the rest of the world, and go out from there and start saving different parts of the country particularly uh, in the northeast i i'm i'm uh for the first time in years slightly jealous of uh what's happening there just uh it's very interesting to see the different states rights uh popping up out of this whole crisis and you know here i am at the edge of the european onion uh the edge of the european onion like with uh belarus and russia uh you know two last dictators of europe just breathing down our necks so like it's it's uh it's a bit it's a bit dicey over here for the first time for first time since the collapse of the Soviet Union, pretty much. Yeah, we talked about Belarus for for a bit in the last episode. Um, yeah, it's going on. It's dicey there, and it's tough. And Russia's got some elections coming up. Another rigged set of elections. Uh, this, like, very soon. And um, yeah. I don't know. There's like there's more and more exiles. Russian. I think there's more political exiles uh, from Russia in Europe since so like since the Brezhnev era of Soviet Union, like since the eighties, uh, late seventies, eighties of Soviet Union. Um, there's just, uh, Putin just doesn't care. You don't agree with him. He'll shoot you down stage suicides, all this stuff. So it's, it's rough. My heart goes out to the Russian and Belarusian people. And I definitely hope that, uh, you know, can bring some more freedom over here as well, but it's going to be a different type of a fight, I think, than what, uh, what's going on in, in the U.S. Yeah, I think the sovereign individual thesis is playing out right before our eyes here in the U.S. I think the, like you mentioned, the return to states asserting their autonomy 
is is very bullish. It's interesting. Yeah. And and still try to get a second passport if you can. That'd be my recommendation. But, you know, barring that, go to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get on that. Um, Maddie, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for doing what you do. I can't wait for those in-person beers at some point in the future. Likewise. Absolutely. How should we leave it with the freaks? It's all you, man. I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's late in the day, and I probably need a beer myself, so um, I'll have one. I'll toast you from afar. All right. It's too early here for a beer yet. I have another podcast to record in an hour, but with that being said, go follow Matthew on Twitter at crypto underscore voices. Cryptovoices.com is the website, correct? Uh, that's right. Um, and again, I think I say this every time you're on most underrated podcasts in the space, particularly if you like to or have come to Bitcoin from an economics background, which I did. And I just am always fascinated by the content you put out, um, Bitcoin from an economics perspective. If you want to nerd out on economics and how Bitcoin is playing a world, excuse me, a role in the new world of economics in the digital age. This is a podcast with a wealth of knowledge and incredible interviews with economists and, and developers um, that, have, that have built the, the theories and, and technologies that, that led to, to Bitcoin. Appreciate it, man. Too kind. All the best to you and, uh, and your fam as well. Likewise. Very excited for, uh, for your fall. It's going to be a fun one for you, I think. Thanks, man. We are as well very much all right that's all we got today freaks peace and love live stream done recording